On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, we fly commercial into war and follow a disillusioned Marine scout sniper as he bullshits his way through life as a U.S. Marine and veteran in Anthony Swafford's 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 <laughs> Jarhead, a Marine's chronicle of the Gulf War and other battles, and its 2005 screen adaptation, Jarhead, starring the very nice Jake Gyllenhaal. So very nice. So very nice. And we asked the question, why did Hollywood hyper-focus on the girlfriend? Also, what's with the horse? Art. Content warning, uh, this is going to be bullshit upon bullshit. And then uh, I'm pretty sure there were some war crimes committed. Oh, no doubt. Welcome back, everybody. Mel B and Jackie D here, getting close to finishing out our military month. We are uh, diving into Jarhead this episode, and we're actually quite relieved because we get to bring the mood up a bit and get back to shit-talking. Because, damn, do we have a lot to say about this book. Also, uh, you know, if you haven't already, you know, check us out on the social medias. Go ahead and like, follow, share. Maybe give us five stars, write a comment, you know. Love us. Our F-bombs this week, uh, we're just going to go ahead and dedicate this to Steven. He is our resident Marine. He provided a lot of comic relief while we were reading (laughs) and watching this. He laid it out for us, factually, what actually was happening at the time. Uh, So yeah, F-bombs for my boo. Jackie, what are we drinking this week? Uh, we're drinking a wonderful concoction, affectionately known as Jungle Juice. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we mentioned that we were going to drink Jungle Juice to Steven, he's like, he's like, is this the barracks? <laughs> sort of like, perfect. Exactly, because that's what we were going for. <laughs> you know, that or college frat party. Yeah. Yeah. More so barracks made in a trash can and served with red silver. Like... Serve with red solo cups where you don't even have like a ladle or anything. You just dump the cup in. Yeah. So by the end of the night, it's just really a combination of nasty fruit and backwash. I went to a couple parties when I was at University of Pittsburgh and they use those giant igloo coolers to make it in. Mm. But it was the same Mm -hmm. concept. You have your red solo cup and you just dunk it in and chug it and then get another one and then next thing you know you don't remember anything about that night that's gross yeah and usually it's like really cheap nasty liquors oh our guys because because the university of pittsburgh is so close to the west virginia border they just go down there and get everclear it's basically gasoline Mm-hmm. yeah so in steven let us know that essentially what's happening in the barracks is Everyone just pools their resources, and it's just shitty liquor and maybe some beer. You know, they're just all in there. Some cut-up fruit, and then Hawaiian punch. Uh, Ours is kind of like the bougie jungle juice, or maybe the white girl version, because it is... I mean, there is Hawaiian punch in it, because I don't think it's jungle juice without that. Uh, But we have Tito's in here. We also have, um, what's the tequila we put in there? It's in a square shaped bottle. And I, it's an I expensive know. bottle. It's not cheap. 
Didn't uh, Maggie bring that over? We, I think she did, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I'm not out buying tequila and putting it in my cabinet. Uh, and then we used the leftover strawberry soju that we had from uh, last week's episode. Mm-hmm. So, and then we actually had some really nice, fresh diced fruit from Whiteman's. <laughs> There's some mango, some cantaloupe, you know, they're like not like just the shit uh, grapes and bananas that you'd find in the barracks. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. So I don't even know if it's actually jungle juice anymore. It's in the spirit of jungle juice, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that we can stomach now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on that note, um, we haven't done a drinking game in a couple weeks just because the tone's been sort of down and deep. Uh, but Jackie went and found one for this. We're about to get turned. And I was actually surprised because I only did find one. There was another link that popped up, but it was to a Reddit feed and the drinking game was for a different movie. I can't remember which one it was. And one of the comments uh, that somebody put in was just mentioning Jarhead. So I, I don't know why that came back, oh. but whatever was it for one of the other jarheads that came out after this oh god i, I can't <laughs> even there's like four or five yeah i i can't even bring myself to sit down and start watching those steven put one on for a few minutes after we he finished did. watching it this awful. it looked like it yeah. was it looked like it was filmed with an iphone maybe not even an iphone like a galaxy note 8 or something <laughs> it was it was pretty bad uh, but just so you know, the other jarheads that are out there are are not based on this book that we're about to do. They are, I would say, inspired by. It seems like from the uh, synopsis of those, though, because I did read those, and it seems like they're trying to take it on a more serious path. I don't know. I don't know. It's all bullshit. But anyway, drinking mm-hmm. game, what do we got? This is from DrunkenMe.com. So <clears throat> at the end of the... I think one of the things that I found, it says that this is like a two beer, whatever, drinking game. So that's not really going to get you too um, turnt. Nah. Switch no. out the beer with jungle juice. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. So you're going to take a drink every time dicks are referenced. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anytime anyone shoots a gun. Oh, all right. Yep. The sniper group's name is mentioned, i.e. suck or stay. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they say welcome to the suck, but isn't that just referencing the Marine, the Corps. Marine Corps in general? I, I believe so. Yeah. Jackie and for those of, army, so... Yeah, <laughs> whatever. I, I People always used to say embrace the suck, but whatever. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that suck is referring to the Marine Corps. Okay, uh, anytime anyone cries, Hmm. uh, Tony's girlfriend is shown or mentioned. (laughs) Anytime there is a voiceover, a title card appears, or anyone mentions Jody. For those of you who don't know what Jody is, uh, anytime they freeze on a person when they're speaking and they put their name and rank and whatever their position is. Oh, oh, got it, got it, got it. I'm dumb. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but the, that last one, anyone mentions Jody, for those of you who are not familiar with military terms, Jody refers to the person who is shacking up with your signif- significant other while you are yeah. in a place where you're not allowed to drink or, you know, do anything else fun. 
It basically, you're deployed and your spouse is at home getting boned. Like, that. that's it. Okay. By somebody, not you. Okay, let's get into who read first and who watched first. Because remember, we swap it up so we come together to see if that changed our perspective on it. Now let's just recap right now because we're on episode 20 now, which is kind of cool for us. I mean, we've been doing this 20 episodes already. Yeah. Yay us. Uh, I want to say that has it really affected, like, if we watch first or, or read first? Hmm. I know in the past, uh, one of the biggest ones that it did impact me, this is outside of the podcast, was uh, Cider House Rules. I read the book first, absolutely yeah. loved it. And because they changed it so much, I hated the movie. I yeah. mean, you can argue that a lot of that has to do with the fact that Tobey Maguire's in it. But still, I absolutely hated the movie. It had a lot of potential. I mean, freaking Michael Caine is in that movie. But You know what? I think... Um... I think it's like some of them, the book has ruined the movie for me. Mm -hmm. I I would say that. Yeah. All right. So I read first this week. I'm pretty sure I've seen Jarhead like back in the day. I think it came out in 2005. So I probably saw it around that time, um, but then have not seen it since. So it's been... Almost 20 years, probably, since I've I've seen the movie. So I read it first. It's a nice, all good, floppy paperback. Um, it's called Scribner. Scrib, first Scribner trade paperback. So this one was published in 2004. The book was originally copyrighted in 2003. Um, and then I watched it. What did I watch it on? Stars, I think? Yeah. Through Amazon. That's another, yeah, that's another subscription I just started because it's on Steven's account. So that's his problem now. Because <laughs> you know you're going to forget about it. Yeah, I'm, I've am i already forgotten about it. We're talking about it and I've already forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, wa- I watched the same way. I watched first Stars subscription. Of course, it's my account. Uh, but there's other stuff on Stars. Like, this is definitely one that I was not going to fork out the money to own this movie. Because I know mm-hmm. I'm never going to watch it again. I mean, <laughs> I might put it on just for some of the stuff, but... Without the yeah. sound on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just have it in the back. Yeah. Uh, And and then I read Kindle. It doesn't have a publication date, but it's just the copyright 2003, uh, also Mm -hmm. Scribner. Okay. Let's talk about this story. It's supposed to be a memoir. Memoir. I say that word weird, don't I? Memoir? Memoir? I just want to talk about something real quick. Memoir. Before we get into this, um, so Anthony Swafford, he wrote this. He, it is about him. It's autobiographical, a blotty, blotty, blah. There is a picture of him on the back, like most authors do their little portrait, you know? Mm-hmm. I just want to say, he looks like the doofiest, cringiest wannabe mob boss out there. Can I see? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, he's cringy. And, like, his stupid pictures are looking all, like, mm, mm, serious face. Like, ew. This motherfucker should be happy that they casted Jake Gyllenhaal to mm-hmm. play him because he does not deserve it at all. Nope. But anyway. Anyway. Okay. So, if you pull up this book, this is what the synopsis is. And I have so many issues with it, all right? First. When the U.S. Marines, or jarheads in quotes, like, uh, whatever, dude, 
were sent to Saudi Arabia in 1990 for the first Gulf War, Anthony Swafford was there. No shit. You're writing the, what? You're writing the book. <laughs> he lived in sand for six months. Boo fucking who. He was punished by boredom and fear. <sighs> he considered suicide, pulled a gun on a fellow Marine, and was targeted by both enemy and friendly fire. Um, I don't remember that, but whatever. As engagement with the Iraqis drew near, he was forced to consider what it means to be an American, a soldier. Here's the thing, though. He's not a soldier. He's a Marine. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're confused out there, when somebody says soldier, that's Army. Yeah. Jackie and I were soldiers. We were not Marines. So anyway, so the, a soldier, not he's a Marine, or the son of a soldier, also wrong, because his father was not in the Army. His father was in the Air Force. So he is therefore an airman. Yeah. And then it says, and a man. Whatever, dude. Sorry. It's dumb. We're pulling it. I'm like, I'm literally just going to squat on my soapbox for this entire episode. Jackie, <laughs> want to talk about the movie? Uh, the movie synopsis is a psychological study of Marine's state of mind during the Gulf War. Told through the eyes of a U.S. Marine sniper who struggles to cope with boredom, a sense of isolation, and other issues back home. It is a 2005 American biographical war drama film based on U.S. Marine Anthony Swafford's 2003 memoir of the same name. The film was directed by Sam Mendes, who is the one that brought us American Beauty. So, yeah, this book, The Horse, or this movie, The Horse, is to the plastic bag in American Beauty, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's very artistic for something that didn't need to be. But got it. Yep. You did you did well, Sam. I, yep. I get it. <laughs> Starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Swafford, with Jamie Foxx, Peter Sarsgaard, Lucas Black, and Chris Cooper. Jarhead chronicles Swafford's life story and his military service in the Persian Gulf War. It was released on November 4th, 2005 by Universal Pictures. Upon release... The film received mixed reviews and was a box office disappointment, disappointment grossing $97 million against a budget of $72 million. Despite the film's mixed response, it spawned a direct-to-video series with three subsequent films. Yeah, those are those Jarhead ones we mm-hmm. were just talking about. So, little note on this with the box office disappointment. So, uh, Stephen, my boo, was in Camp Pendleton during this time. He was Marine Infantry. Uh... The base commander put out, like, an edict that when this movie came out, nobody was allowed to see it. How they controlled that, not really a thing. But the consensus I got was that a lot of the Marines, most of them, didn't even want to see it. Mm -hmm. And then the reviews that we're going to get into um, also, like, weren't interested. Like, a lot of uh, active duty or veterans, like, just heard about it and wanted nothing to do with it. So I think you lost a big part of your audience that would have went and saw this movie right there. And then there's that other side of the audience that really is not interested in war movies. So I have, or these type of um, uh, like war chronicles, because you got to consider the time that it came out was 2005. Yes. America was still fairly patriotic, but we were starting to come down from that high, right? In about 2005 era. Yeah, that was we also... Just, we were tired mid, of it. That was mid-surge uh, for Iraq, yeah. I think. So, I, I think just people were tired. They just weren't interested. They're like, Gulf War, we get it. Like, But we're, we're doing our own thing right now, and we're exhausted. 
we're oversaturated with war right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe timing was just bad when it came out. I don't know. It, granted, not considering all the bullshit about it, but just that in itself. Uh, so I really think the audience that went to see this was probably like teenage boys. That or people were expecting an anti-war movie. And they went because, yeah. I mean, this is about the Gulf War. Obviously, oil was a big issue at the time. We're currently in Iraq and yeah. all that nonsense. So it was a good way for people who were against the war or had uh, cynical ideas about the war. were like, yeah, see, that's the only reason we're there. Oil. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. But that means that people went in the first place. It kind of looks like a lot of people didn't go in the first place. Mm -hmm. Or how shitty it did in the box office. Anyway, on that note, why don't we talk about these reviews? I'll go first. Goodreads here. So Goodreads, it is a 3.66 out of 5. And I believe... Why didn't I write that? Like, a lot of people have read this book. 5 out of 5 was 22%. 4 out of 5, which is the highest concentration of ratings, was 36%. Three got 28, then two and one was about um, eight and 3% respectively. Now, five out of five. I also want to caveat this before I read it. The overwhelmingly majority of people that reviewed this book were men. Mm -hmm. Just going to put that out there. Five out of five. One of the defining formative books of my early life. I probably read this twice in high school. Undeniably poetic, philosophical, rebellious, and uncannily insightful. Reading Jarhead is like devouring the book form of a film like American Beauty. Hmm. Except from the perspective of a marine grunt living in the hurry-up-and-wait atmosphere of the U.S. war machine. If this isn't the... Okay, he says, if this isn't in the Library of Congress, it absolutely should be. Uh, I did check. It is in the the Library of Congress. And there's actually in the front of the book, it it says exactly where. I just thought that was weird. And they're like, this needs to be in the Library of Congress. Uh, I thought okay. <laughs> I thought all books published in the United States ended up in the Library of Congress just because they need to have a record of everything that yeah. is ever made. Yeah, I don't really think he understands what that means. Because I was like, I was when I read this, I thought the same thing. I was like, it, it should be because all American published books. And then like literally the first page in the copyright, it's like the library of Congress has cataloged the Scribner edition as follows. And it goes through like yeah. it's in there. Um, I would, I would say like 99.99% of these books are in the library of Congress. Anyway, Swafford paints the everyday experiences of a grunt and brilliant introspective prose that will easily withstand the test of time. Gross. I'm going to go with no, Gross. yeah, no, I mean, this review is written very well. So kudos, like, fantastic, beautifully written review. Mm-hmm. But it's also bullshit, just like this book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you liked it, you enjoyed it. And I, looking at the reviewer, and I'm not going to give a lot away because I don't want to, like, stereotype. Um, the picture that was presented in the profile and looking at his reading history, I can understand why he gave it 5 out of 5. And if you got something out of this book, fantastic. That's what that's what literature is about. Okay? Three out of five. I'm not very informed or educated on the military or the terms that come with it. So I feel as though some of this book went straight over my head, which is at no fault of Swafford's. Understand. Like, I think Jackie and I having a military background, we can read and understand this. It, it's 
it's understandable. But I can see how somebody who has no background might get a little lost in the sauce. So mm-hmm. I like that they identified that in the beginning. It says, because of this, it felt that the book dragged on and I was often checking how many pages were left in the chapter. <laughs> chapter. So I don't know if that's really a factor of you being confused by the terminology. Because I don't think it was too uh, military lexicon heavy. Like, it's there, but I don't think it was the whole book. Like, I think We Were Soldiers was very, 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 very oh, military lexicon yeah. heavy. This was more common language. So I don't think you being bored had anything to do with the vocabulary. But that's fine. However, I still enjoy it. I still enjoyed it, and I feel that I have definitely come away with more knowledge on what drives people involved in wars and the effects that it has on them. This is what my concern is. I totally valid review. They're, they're admitting they have no perspective of this, and they're, they're taking it at face value. That is what my concern is, is that somebody's going to read this and think, oh, this is what it's like. No, this is what it was like for one dude. Mm-hmm. So, fair enough. Whatever. One out of five, and I picked this. There's a lot of one out of fives that I wanted to to add because they were they were great. But I also didn't want to just because a lot of them were Marines that were viewing it. One out of five, so I was like, all right, let me be fair and biased. Let me pick one that's not. It says book was okay, but not a real military memoir. More of an escapade journal of his conquests. Very true. Very true. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, movie reviews. Uh, It has a 7 out of 10 average. uh, That is out of 188,000. Jeez, I can't even read numbers Mm. right now. 201 ratings. Um, I didn't actually get the number of total reviews, but obviously it's lower than that. Uh, The highest rating was 7. It was 34.4%. And it's kind of funny because the graph of the ratings... It looks like somebody giving you the finger. finger. Yeah. (laughs) I saw that at work and I sent Melissa a message. I was like, is that what, do do you think it looks like that? Is that a coincidence? It does look like, it looks exactly like that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, The first one, did not pay attention to whether or not this was a male or a female that wrote this, uh, but it's a 10 out of 10 military life in full. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. As someone who has dated Marines, naval officers, and soldiers, I knew what they go through on a daily basis, but it was good to see it in living color. Uh. Yeah. The writing is brilliant. Jamie Foxx's delivery is flawless, as is... <laughs> that's a funny spelling of his name. Jillian Halls. H-A-U-L. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it really put perspective to what happened in Desert Storm... Nothing. A whole lot of nothing. A whole lot and nothing. Don't go to this film expecting lots of action, because remember, that is not what this war was about. It is, however, a great look at military life and the psychological issues soldiers go through abroad. It is a very appropriate film for this particular time, so I have to give it a lot of stars. All ten of them, actually. All all ten. Good for you. So so many stars. Well, I... You said you didn't look if it was a military, if it was a male or female. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to assume that it's a female. Yeah, uh, especially. But you know, uh, the- yeah, it's from uh, 2005. That review is November of 2005. So I'm guessing. Well, I know for a fact that "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I, it's, I think only women would really post about how proud they are that they've, they've gone through the gambit of dating mm-hmm. certain types. So, yeah, whatever. Nope. I mentioned to you earlier, the only things that are missing are uh, airmen and coasties. coasties. Yep. Okay, uh, 7 out of 10. They got that right, all in caps, with an exclamation point. Jarhead's depiction of the hellish ambiance under the oil fires is utterly accurate. In fact, the gloaming that the Marines marched through on film was just as dark and just as eerie during the actual operation, midnight or midday. As a veteran of... there? Yeah. As a veteran of all three Mm. campaigns in the Kuwait Theater of Operation... I sincerely appreciate the filmmaker's close attention to historical detail. And no kidding, I too spotted a beautiful Arabian stallion fleeing the fires on D plus one, following the drifting dunes hell bent for the Saudi tap line. Until I saw the second scenario, saw the scenario unfold on the screen, I seriously questioned the sighting as some sort of surreal fever dream. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to say bullshit, but whatever. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, you know what, I'm bullshit. I'm just calling bullshit. That is what it is. What, what three campaigns in the Kuwaiti theater of operation, though? Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I'm pretty sure that's it. Current, current, or most recent. I, I don't know. Again, bullshit. That's yeah. why I'm calling bullshit. We could be wrong. We could be bullshit. But I'm going to say bullshit. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and the final one is kind of lengthy, but I thought it was worth it to include it. It is a 1 out of 10. Title is Watch Ishtar Instead, Welcome to the Suck. Good message, good visuals, good cinematography, terrible movie. This is the first movie I have ever rated a 1, and I hate to do it, because I don't like to think that there are movies this bad out there. The first thing about this movie to jump out at me as being inexcusably awful was the script. The script was uh, not just poorly written, but it's completely unoriginal. From the get-go, we hear lines straight out of Full Metal Jacket, some word-for-word, some just copied with a change of words. Examples, you like old people, fuck? I don't know if that's... Oh, you move, like he's saying you're slow. Oh, yeah. But it was just you dot dot dot. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. It's, I don't think this person understands that they they actually do say stuff like that. Yeah, and there's there's a script that <laughs> drill sergeants and I'm sure drill instructors get. These are appropriate yeah. lines yeah, for whatever. belittling recruits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, how the drill instructor grabs the guy's neck and shoves him on the ground. Another copy from Full Metal Jacket is when the main character goes nuts and recites, This is my rifle. The same thing happens to Private Pyle. He recites that line, kills his own guy, then turns the gun on himself. The only difference here is that the trigger isn't pulled. The Lutrine burning scene was copied from Platoon, not to mention a two-minute scene from Apocalypse Now. Camels are also shot in Three Kings. The plot is inexcusable. Why are the small group of Marines marching through the desert in the middle of the night by themselves? This could only happen in Hollywood. Scene transitions are pathetic. The plot doesn't flow. The military behavior, such as the commander taking the time to argue with the main character's sniper partner while in the middle of calling in coordinates for an airstrike, seem to not be realistic. The last scene in which the two walk over a hill and are all of a sudden back at base camp is hard to believe, as is everyone firing their guns into the air. What is the point of this movie? The idea is that the half-war is frustrating to the Marine Corps grunt 
and that the war is pretty crazy do not take another feature-length movie to be understood. Lots of things just don't make sense and are evidence of a relatively thoughtless story. For example, the main character tells the drill instructor that his dad only talked about Vietnam once and therefore convinces him that he is genuine. However, when we see his dad, he is wearing two dog tags at the kitchen table, which runs contrary to the idea that he was not open about it. This is simply careless movie making. What is a horse doing in the middle of an oil field? It's a stunning image. Yeah, I have that question. <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense. It seems like the creators of this movie thought that having Sam Mendes as director and producing artistic visuals in reference to the Iraq conflict would make people oblivious to the fact that the movie sucks. Apparently it worked on most of you people enjoying your dunk neck deep in the excrement of popular mass media. The end. This review is the product of someone who does not understand the military and the fact that this book is bullshit with the movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, naivete and bullshit equal really unclear. And he's like, this, uh, I hate it when people say, oh, this copied this, this copied that. Like, did you ever stop to think that the common denominator here is the Marine Corps? Yeah. And that they're pulling the inspiration from the Marine Corps, hence alluding to the fact that it's sort of accurate, though maybe a caricature of it. Yeah, and I think a lot of the reviews that I read, people who were complaining about how it was unrealistic and stuff like that, it's coming from people who have seen a lot of war movies, military movies, whatever. They think that that is actually how it is. So they're making comparisons to things that are fiction a lot of the time. Or mm-hmm. there's a lot of artistic license taken. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of artistic license, let's talk about the characters. Because this is where it gets messy. In the book, these are the characters as listed. Like, I actually had to research this because I couldn't even pull it all together to remember them all. And I was trying to like mark them as I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. But this is what the book summary says. So it's Swafford, who's a main character, Johnny Rotten, Kuhn or Coon, Troy, Fergus, Dickerson, Combs, Sergeant Seek, Crockett, Martinez, Cortez, Fountain, Detman, Larson, Andy Gork, and Myers. Now, if we go over to the movie, we get uh, Swafford... Obviously, main character. Drill Instructor Fitch, which I believe in the book it was Drill Instructor Burke. Yeah. Alan Troy, Staff Sergeant Sykes, Kruger, who is, I think, a one-for-one for for Kuhn. Kuhn? Kuhn? I don't know. It's a weird name. Uh, Fergus, which seems to be an aggregate of, like, Detman and a lot of these other characters. Although I did see uh, Detman listed as a character in the movie, but I could not for the life of me remember where in the movie the he was. One, he's the one that gets the video of his wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that was even different because I think it was Deer Hunter in the yeah. movie, but in the book it wasn't. It was something else. Uh, yeah, so Fergus, Cortez, Escobar, which was... A, 
Yeah, but it seemed like the two Hispanic characters were kind of the same, so I don't know why they changed the name. Mm-hmm. Then there was Pinko and Fowler. So, actually, Fowler was in the book, too. Yeah. Wasn't he? But I think he some of the... stuff. Yeah. But I think some of the stuff that somebody else said, I can't remember who it was in the book, was attributed to him in the movie. I sh- yeah, they did this, this... So there's this weird thing in the movie where I, I guess... It makes sense from a cinematic perspective where you're trying to save time and maybe money. You don't have to cast that many people Mm. or like trying screenwriting to try to fit them all in. But there's like Troy in the movie is a mixture of Troy and Johnny Rotten. Mm -hmm. Because Johnny is the one that is his um, uh, sight guy. Yeah. On this sniper team. Yeah. So there's a lot of them, they just like mix and match characteristics and certain events that are like accurate from the book, but it's done by a different character, but really because that character in the movie is trying to be like three characters from the book. And by characters, supposedly these are all real people. Um, Sure. Sure. And maybe they changed the names to make them easier to pronounce because some of them are kind of (laughs) weird. Cune. Looking at you. Kuhn, yeah, yeah, but I think Kuhn and Kruger are one for one because a lot of the dialogue and events seem to happen with him, just him. So, <sighs> if that wasn't confusing enough, you know, let's get into the casting of this. We described earlier that Anthony Swafford looks like a dirty, cringy, creepy mob boss wannabe with his hair all slicked back and he's. He has kind of a horse face. I'm just going to... It's, like, real long. He's weird. He's a weird-looking dude. Um, But he is played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who is beautiful, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is the right opinion. Yeah. Especially when he's, like, beefed up Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm not a huge fan of him when he's, like, almost methed out Jake Gyllenhaal, because there's some movies that he's, like, skinny. I don't... I don't really like that. I like beefy Jake Gyllenhaal, and this is beefy. This is like 20-year-old Marine infantry beefy Jake Gyllenhaal. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for Work, that. Working out like five hours a day. Love it. Troy is played by Peter Sarsgaard. Uh, he is in the new Batman movie. He's the drunken DA that gets the bomb strapped to his chest, if anyone's wondering. Uh, he, um, I think he's a good actor. Because I've seen him in a bunch of stuff, and it, he has range. But he's one of those actors that, like, molds into the character. So you don't you don't get Peter Scar- or Peter Sarsgaard. I always want to say Sarsgaard. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the character. So he's... I really liked him. Staff Sergeant Sykes is played by Jamie Foxx. I don't think we really need to say anything else about that. Definitely not. Kruger is played by Lucas Black. So, he is the kid from Sling Blade. He was a baby. <laughs> he was a baby. Uh, he's also been a bunch of the Fast and Furious movies. This may be sort of an obscure movie. Maybe a lot don't know about it, but it's one of my personal favorites. Crazy in Alabama. Have you ever seen that? I don't think I have. It's a, with what's her face that was married to Antonio Banderas. Melanie. Oh, um, Melanie Griffith. Her daughter is in... Yeah, Melanie Gr- her daughter is in Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Bring it, just to, so let's see how far we can take this. <laughs> uh, Fergus is played by Brian 
Garrity. Oh, I think that's right. Yeah. So this may also be obscure. Like, I know a lot of people watch it, but maybe you're not familiar with it if you're listening to this. He is in The Alienist, which is a show. It's a very good show. It's also based on a book. It's a very good. Uh, but he plays Teddy Roosevelt in that, though. He's also in The Hurt Locker, so another military movie. Um, and then he's also, like, in the Chicago PD fire. I put that because I know you watch it. Jack. Yeah, well, I used to until I got sick and tired of network television in general. Uh, but he played a patrol cop in Chicago PD. And, of course, they did crossovers. I, I think he ended up dying. Way to spoil it, Jackie. But then he went on to play Teddy Roosevelt in The Alienist. And I think that was a significant step up. Yeah, I liked it. I like him. I liked mm-hmm. Oh, God, The Alienist is so good. We need to do that one. Cortez is played by Jacob Vargas. Pulled up his IMDb. He's done a lot of voiceover stuff, but he also has this face that I feel like I've seen him in a bunch, but when I'm going through the IMDb list, I don't recognize that, so I think I might be confusing him with someone else. But I did find that he was in that movie Devil. Jackie's probably not seen it because that's not her genre, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's that movie where they get stuck on the elevator and like creepy shit starts to happen. And one of them's like a devil or something. He's in that movie. Yeah. Hmm. Somebody out there is going to know what I'm talking about. Escobar. This one was shocking to me. He's played by Laz Alonzo or Las Alonzo. Pulled him up. I, from the movie, I don't recognize him in Jarhead, but pulling it by NDV. He is Eminem. So mother's milk in the boys. That, um, the Netflix show. Right, no, Amazon. Wait, what Amazon, is it? Amazon? Yeah. Amazon Fire, yeah, The Boys. Amazon. That's a, the big one. It's in season three right now. He's MM, or, or Mother's Milk, what they call him. Another crazy one. He had Suitsay from Avatar. Now I want to go to Pandora. Yeah. Now I'm going to look this up because that's crazy. I don't recognize him from either of those, but he looks very different, too, from Jarhead to... Uh, the boys. I think he's he's not fat. I think he's just put on more bulk. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy because in Jarhead he's built. Mm-hmm. He's a he's the Cuban. Yeah, yeah. He's he's stacked. I don't know. It's weird. I was not expecting that. Lastly, we're talking about Fowler, crazy little dude. There's a bunch of other characters, but these are the ones worth noting. He's played by Evan Jones. Uh, he was Cheddar Bob in Eight Mile, the Eminem autobiographical movie, and then Wretch, which is Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Okay, let's get into this plot. Um, I don't even think there is a plot. I think it's just bullshit. But there are some key points we can bring up. First, being that in the movie we are introduced to Anthony Swafford as he's in boot camp. In the book, we get an introduction from Anthony Swafford where he's like in the future uh, doing some weird cringy thing where he's pulling out his gear and trying to put it on and obviously it doesn't fit. Which must be a thing that Marines do because Steven does this every now and then as well. <laughs> I just thought it like was interesting that... His is hanging in his... Yeah, I, I, I just, well, I still have my dress uniforms from the army, but most of the tactical is stuff I got rid of. Is it hanging in a closet? Uh, I believe it is boxed up with the rest of my shit and storage in Orlando. Same. 
His is literally in his closet, hanging up, ready to be donned. Hmm. I don't think he's going to need it anymore. No. And then remember, we were watching, he's like, do you want to wear my gas mask? I'm like, shut up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, then he just like, he runs out to the garage and comes back with a gas mask in its satchel. I'm like, where did you get that from? He's like, I just never turned it in. So it must be a Marine thing. So what I'm saying is, that's how we're introduced to Anthony Swafford. Like, he's having this nostalgic moment in his basement, pulling out his old gear from when he was in the Marine Corps and trying it on. Which I think is weird, because especially when you finish the book, and then if you happen to go back to, I mean, do notes for a podcast. And you're Mm -hmm. like, he complains nonstop about the Marine Corps. Why did he save anything? And then it occurs to me, he's probably one of those veterans who is proud of it when it's convenient for him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. free blooming Onion at Outback on Veterans Day. Yeah. It's Veterans Day. I'm a veteran. Which, you know, listen, no grief to any of the veterans out there that go and get their free meal. Um, you deserved it and you earned it, so get it. Okay. In the book, he, he talks us through... Very sort of haphazardly. I I think this is just the style that he's writing in where it's sort of jumping around and he's like, just, uh, there's like a juxtaposition between a, a certain event in the boot camp, but then he's like m- remembering something with his sister or his dad. And then we're going back to him being in the Marine Corps. It's It was a little jarring for me, which I am not against that sort of artistic, stylistic um form in literature where it's bringing you all over the place but this was just like wait why are we talking about this so in the book we get that he's he's remembering some things but essentially what we get is he joined the marine corps for all the wrong reasons and then he went to boot camp was miserable he talks about his drill instructor burke who i guess abused them and then he told on him to the commander the company commander. well no, i think he said uh unlucky for the drill instructor the the commander was in the stairwell whenever he was doing something mm. particularly harsh and they did essentially a, sen- a sensing session and yeah. everybody came out and said yeah he did this to me did this to me and then he was transferred to another unit or something yeah which in the movie you get that scene where he like smacks his head and um, shoves his head into the chalkboard and stuff. He says that that happened in the book. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I mean, we're talking like 1989 Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. It's not really shocking. I It probably did. Um, but the big departure here, the movie from the book, is that the mo- movie makes you think that he went to boot camp, came out, went straight to uh, 29 Palms, and became a sniper. But that's not really what happened. He is in boot camp, gets out his MOS or his job in the military. So the, the training he's about to go do is to be a secu- essentially a security guard. Steven says that it's the uh, Marines that like guard nuclear facilities and things like that. Or they're outside an embassy or something. You know, that's mm-hmm. what he was training to be. Like an MP, a, a military police, kind of, kind of, but more just security guard. He then makes a comment in the book saying that there's some sort of administrative thing where they're going to move three people 
to the infantry, meaning just a normal grunt infantry training. And that because of that, he moved from this MOS training to the infantry school. Steven says that it's more likely that he failed out of that school, the original one, and that's mm-hmm. why they moved him. So it wasn't administrative. It's because he's a shitbag. Gets to the other school, and then this is where he's introduced into that barracks, and they're branding that guy in the movie. Anthony Swafford says he does sort of describe this happening when he gets to the infantry school barracks or the stay, which there's a few other steps that happen there. Um, And then they sort of fuck with him and haze him and make it seem like they're going to brand him. But then he wakes up and realizes that it was like they swapped it out. It was a cold one. It was just psychological warfare at that point. Mm -hmm. Steven Mabu, he says that it's probably they were fucking with him because they knew that he failed out of the other school. Yeah. That is more likely aligns with the culture of military or Marine Corps infantry. So... Movie makes it seem like, oh my god, I joined, I went to boot camp, it was hard. Then they sent me to this shitty uh, unit where the guy, when he's doing his paperwork, is like, it's full of retards and fuck-ups, like, maybe you'll help them. And then he's like, or not. Remember mm-hmm. that with the gunny? <laughs> <laughs> so, we, in the movie, we miss, like, a whole section of his enlistment. There's parts where he goes to Okinawa, there's parts where he does another tour, like, there's it's things Philippines that are not and there. Stuff, yeah. Philippines, yeah. Which I don't really blame the movie for not putting in. I don't think it really adds anything to the story. It kind of takes you off in tangents, which is what you get in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I like that review where it says it's more like a journal entries of his his uh, conquest because mm-hmm. you get a lot of like I fucked this girl and I fucked that girl and then I was writing to this girl and then this is my girlfriend even though she's got a boyfriend, but then I have this girlfriend back home. Which brings us into our next part, where the movie hyper-focuses on this girlfriend, Christina, where Jackie and I both agree that reading this book, you don't even realize he has a girlfriend until about halfway through, when he's bitching about, oh, she's probably cheating on me. And yeah. it's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. You literally just spent a hundred and something pages telling us about all of the prostitutes and girlfriends that you're fucking... But this whole time you had a girlfriend back home and you're worried that she's fucking a hotel manager? Dude. dude. Can we say double standard? This book really reminded me of High Fidelity. Where (laughs) I think I just could not relate to it because it's a male perspective about male or guy issues or Mm -hmm. guy concerns or whatever. And I'm like, I just cannot get on board with it. Which doesn't mean it's bad. It just... I, not this is for not you. My thing. I, yeah. I can't. Yeah, I just can't relate to it. Like when a dude is complaining about dude things that I do not relate to, I just can't. Like in High Fidelity, he's just bitching about all these girls that broke up with him, and it's like, but you're an asshole. That's why they broke up with you. Mm-hmm. In this, in this case, he's talking about oh, his girlfriend back home is probably cheating on him, and I'm like, you literally just spent so many chapters describing in great detail. About all the sexual exploits you've been having. All around the world. But you feel betrayed. What? Dumb. Dumb. Which, don't get me wrong. I don't appreciate his take on it. And I don't appreciate how he's trying to portray her as the bad guy. And wronging him when he's doing it all over the place. Mm -hmm. But it's really unfortunate. I saw shit like that a lot in the military. Especially Mm -hmm. on deployment. 
Yeah, I'm not saying it's not accurate at mm-hmm. all. It is accurate. It's just when you're hearing him complain about it, it's like, dude, dude, stop. Mm-hmm. Something noteworthy, I think, from the beginning of this story is in the movie, you get that funny little bugle scene where he one of it's not really Staff Sergeant Sykes or Sykes or that does it in the book, I don't believe. Mm-mm. But it's I think what's happening is that the NCOs and the staff around him realize that he's basically a malingerer and he's doing all this stuff to get out of shit. So one of them sort of pranks him and says, oh, well, the Marine Corps band needs a trumpet player. So do you have any musical background? He's like, oh, well, I played the trumpet in middle school or high school or whatever. He's like, oh, cool. Do you want to try out? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to try out. That's what happens in the book. The movie makes it seem like Jamie Foxx's character comes in and is like, hey, yeah, I need a bugler. I need to see someone play Reveille, Taps. You know, can you do that? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Thinking he's going to get out of doing, like, shitty stuff. So he says, report here at this time and for the tryout. So he shows up. In the movie, we get the funny little bugle scene where he's like, oh, play it with your mouth. Because he goes, I don't, I don't have a bugle. And Jamie Foxx is like, oh, oh, fuck, that sucks. Uh, yeah, play it with your mouth. Then he makes him play, I think he does Reveille, and then he does something by... Um, Stevie Wonder. Uh, Stevie Wonder, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's doing that. And it's funny. I like that they added it, but really in the book how he describes it is that he was... Somebody did fuck with him, and he agreed to do this um, tryout. But when he shows up, the staff sergeant's like, dude, no, there's no such thing. I'm feeling generous today and I'm not going to make you, you know, embarrass you, but no. So I thought it was funny. I have a funny story related. Go for it. You remember in AIT, you get there, you're phase four, you have really no privileges or rights. You're still wearing uniform all the time, stuff like that. And then you could go do your Mm -hmm. phase test to get five. So you can Mm -hmm. at least wear your civilian clothes at the end of the day and on the weekends. Go to the mall every weekend and see every movie that comes out, yep. Oh, the wonderfully glamorous mall in that town. It's like a hallway with an (laughs) anchor store. That's it. It had a Dillard's. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So we went in for our phase five test and it was everybody from the class ahead of me because they didn't have room because the recruiting people didn't save me a seat the right way. And then some reservists came in and he took my spot in that class. So I had to wait around. Yeah. So we're in there and uh, one of the things that they wanted us to do was sing the army song. So one of the people, (laughs) yeah. One of the people that was in there for it, and they would just pick and choose who had to sing it, and then somebody had to do the NCO Creed and whatever. So one of the people raised her hand to volunteer, and she's like, I can uh, make trumpet sound singing that song with my mouth. So she got up and did that. <laughs> and the drill sergeants were like, stop. You don't have to answer any more questions. You're good. You're, you're phase five. Here's your phase <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's a brave person. She was really funny, too. I mean, I and I ran into her several times after. I think we were in uh, AGB together and some other stuff. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Like it. So he doesn't have to do the bugle thing in the book, but he does it in the movie, which is fun. And then there's this sort of like climactic scene where it's like uh, he's explaining what the 
scout snipers are and, you know, they're meanest motherfuckers, blah, 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 you know. And then Jake Gyllenhaal is like, I'm here, I'm in. Cool, got it. Then we go through this montage of sorts of the training, uh, running and they're shooting and blah, 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 blah. Uh, And then every time they cut to their formation run, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, which makes it clear that it's very exclusive and people are not making it through, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. There's one scene, though, where they're doing the low crawl, like, what do you call that? Under um, concertina wire. It's it's kind of like Nick and yeah. Night that we did in basic training. Yeah. yeah. So they're doing this training where they're low crawling and they're shooting live rounds over them. And he's like, you got to keep your head down. You got to keep your composure. And this one kid sort of freaks out and lifts up and he gets shot in the head. Now, cool. That makes for some drama. But that would never fucking happen. Mm-mm. They would shut down that entire school. They would shut mm-hmm. down that base if that happened. Don't get me wrong. Like, accidents do happen during training and, and people do die. But not something like that. Yeah. So, fine. And also, he doesn't talk about this in the book. It's not alluded to at all. So I think this is just something that Hollywood took creative liberties with and ran with. But... Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that if he is part of the production of this, especially as a consultant, that he wouldn't have said, um, no, that's bullshit because knowing that your your audience is primarily going to be military and all of these people are going to understand that that's bullshit, like, you're immediately losing people, right? Yeah. You're, yeah. But, you know, whatever. Anyway, so they make it through training and whatever. Then they get called up for to go to Saudi Arabia um, because Iraq has invaded Kuwait and blah, 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 blah. So here we go. Flying over there to Saudi Arabia. Because I think the, the first mission for them is to guard the oil mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia because they don't want them coming across because that's what's important. So they get over there. They fly in commercial. They land. They're on just in the middle of the desert, just bored out of their fucking minds. And because he, he does describe this in the book where it's just a lot of hydrating, training, hydrating, training, <laughs> hydrating, training, which I think I believe that having been in the military and having deployed and having to go through ridiculous training cycles like that, it, it rings true to me. So I think that part is accurate. Um, <laughs> Drill sergeants in uh, in basic training. Anytime you're like drill sergeant, I think I twisted my ankle. Drink water. Okay. Yes, drill sergeant. Drink water. Take a Motrin. Walk it off. Those are the three steps to healing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, they're over in Saudi Arabia, and then you're kind of getting this countdown, like you know, thirty days in country, sixty something days in country, a hundred and whatever days in country. So it's clear that there's a whole lot of nothing going on. Um, they do these rotations where they're out in the field and then they get come back uh and i guess the saudis had like barracks or these sort of um i don't know what you'd call them but these buildings were that were prepped for them and they could stay where it had air conditioning and they had a movie theater and all this other or maybe not a movie theater but like where they could watch movies yeah but he's complaining about it yeah in the book he doesn't complain about it in the movie which I think even Hollywood was like, dude, it's fucking air conditioning. Why are you bitching? 
So yeah, it, they they refer it to the rear rear. So you have the front line, mm-hmm. you have the rear, and then you have the rear rear where all of the higher ups and supply people and stuff are. And he he was complaining about it almost in the sense that it was too cush. Like, yeah. this is not what war is supposed to be like. Yeah. It's supposed to be you running around in your mop suit drinking water. Doing Dumb. field fucks. Dumb. Let's talk about that field fuck real quick. Uh, the scene where the reporter comes out and they're trying to demonstrate their mop suits, which is the like hazardous, the, if there's a gas attack or a biochemical warfare type situation, these, these are the suits that are supposed to protect you. Jackie and I both have worn these suits. I would not uh, wager my life these suits but you know in good faith yeah we had to do our annual do a full eight hour work day wearing yeah all of it yeah it is bullshit Mm -hmm. but he does describe this in the book that it happened where but there's supposed to be two reporters and there's a female and a guy the guy reporter is the one that eventually gets them like all these little trinkets and stuff that they asked for and it this is part I also believe where in the book they're describing how the reporter's like, hey, is there anything I can get you guys? And they list out just the most random, ridiculous bullshit. Like, I think there's a blow-up doll in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but apparently, like, the guy pulls through and gets a majority of the stuff on the list. So mm-hmm. they left that out, which is like, okay, fine. Maybe it doesn't really add to the story at all. But there is a scene where they're supposed to demonstrate these mop suits and they're playing football in the desert in full Mot 4 um, while the reporters are there. So they're doing it. They're getting frustrated. The suits aren't working. They're fucking hot because it's basically you're like in a plastic bag mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the middle of the fucking desert. Yeah. And they can't breathe. So at one point um, in the movie, they make it seem like it just happens naturally, and it's funny. They start doing this field fuck thing where they all just, like, are simulating an orgy on each other. Where in the book, he's talking about... It does happen. He says it happens. But it's based on a specific... One of them um, fucked up, and they all got in trouble for it or something. Mm-hmm. So they're essentially... What they're saying is the field fuck is meant to embarrass, discipline, haze a guy who fucks up in the unit. Yeah. Which, whatever. He says it happens in the book. Steven, who has done a lot of grunt work and has deployed, he deployed in 2002, 2003. Like, he's done a lot of infantry deployments and he agrees with a lot of the bullshit that he's talked about, like the really debaucherous type of stuff. But the field fuck is the one where he's like, I don't, is that a thing? So, that right there makes me want to call bullshit. Yep. Which is not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying I would like to call bullshit. I would like to take my bullshit card out and place <laughs> it face up on the desk. <laughs> anyway, so they're there in the desert doing stuff. So, what we're trying to set up here is that they're bored out of their fucking minds. Because there's no actual combat happening. So... They have Firewatch, which is essentially, uh, in the military, not everyone gets to go to sleep. That's not a thing. Somebody has to stay awake Mm -hmm. at some point, and it's called Firewatch. So in the movie, it's like they... Oh, you know who we didn't talk about? Who? What? um, What's-his-face? 
uh, Kaczynski, or what was his name? Oh, um, yeah, Kaczynski, the, uh, what is it, the battalion commander, brigade commander? I can't remember. He's like the, uh, ec- uh, not XO, he's the, like, S1 dude or whatever. He's writing stuff. For the <gasps> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Jim from The Office. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's in this movie, just yeah. straight chilling. He has, yeah. like, a couple scenes, and I'm like, what the fuck? And the stuff uh, that so and the stuff it, but... that he yeah the stuff that he talks about and and the fact that he was the one that they went to for the hooch uh, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that is all in the book too mm-hmm. yeah yeah which leads us up this scene so he goes this guy apparently is making essentially like moonshine prison style it, who knows I I actually don't want to know <laughs> how he's making this but he for forty dollars he gets like five gallons or something crazy like that. Um, and it looks like it's supposed to be Christmas night or mm-hmm. something Christmassy. And he brings it back to their uh, tent. And it's uh, Kruger is the one that they put on. No, Fergus. Fergus, yeah. Fergus is a Yeah. So in the movie, it's Fergus is the one. He's like, hey, do my fire watch. He's like, yeah, it's your fire watch. And he, whatever. So he does it. He's abusing his power, I guess. And they're all just parting it up in the tent and then we cut to Fergus outside he's trying to like heat up sausages mm-hmm. on a little like little propane stove thing mm-hmm. but he's got it propped up next to the uh, flare like the pellets yeah. of flares or whatever they are <laughs> you know highly flammable items he's trying to cook his, and the flame's real high and then the flame catches on one of the tent things and then it it uh, activates the flares and that all boom, 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 you know, so everyone comes out. And it's it's a big deal. Like, you can't hide it. So then Swafford gets uh, demoted on the spot, which is also bullshit. It's That's not, not how that a happens. thing. There's a process and paperwork involved. Yeah, not how it works. You don't have some staff starting to go out and go, hey, you're now a private. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, also didn't happen in the book that way. Doesn't get demoted at all. But it's, I guess, it's for the movie, sure. Um, Because what happens in the book, I guess, is less entertaining. So essentially what's happening is they finally get approval and they have this uh, firing range that gets set up and they're going to go to the firing range in the morning and shoot and be happy, Marines. Um, And it's Detman is the one that's supposed to be on Firewatch and supposed to wake them all up at like 04 or whatever so they can get ready. Staff Sergeant Sykes is the one, or Sykes is the one that wakes up first and it's already 6.30 a.m. So they missed their opportunity to go to the range. So of course, uh, he blames Swafford because Swafford is his, Detman's, you know, he's responsible for it because he's a Lance Corporal and I think Detman's a private. So he gets uh, duty. He gets the shit duty that we see in the movie. But that's the difference there where... The movie is, like, this all-dramatic scene. Fergus fucks up, like, explodes the camp, and then he gets... Swaffer gets demoted. Not exactly what happens in the book, but <laughs> I get it. But it all leads us to the shit duty, which I... For the most part, I think that is pretty accurate to the book. Yeah, including the, the uh, officer out. making him put the, thi- the yeah. uh, tub back underneath the thing. My morning glory... It's fucking disgusting. That's what it is. And I, I think we don't do that anymore because it's it's not good for your health. I know that I never right. had to do it on either of my deployments. Yeah, I never had to do it. Um, I'm pretty I sure Nick, <laughs> Nick did. 
but he was in an engineer unit and they made life easier for themselves because they were the ones that were building the nice outhouses essentially and also they were one of the first ones to be able to get showers in country because they actually made showers fantastic yeah i had showers yeah (laughs) i did too so yeah so we get the shit duty which is accurate he's stirring shit it's disgusting but this is what sets him off and he has this scene with in the book it's Detman in the movie it's Fergus where they're disassembling and cleaning their weapons and they're racing to put them together and then he just snaps and loads the weapon and proceeds to face to point it at Detman slash Fergus's face and go off on him Mm-hmm. Uh, in the movie, I think they combine two scenes because there's at one point where somebody walks in on Swafford and he has like the muzzle of the gun in his mouth, mm-hmm. and they're like, "You you can't do that. You can't kill yourself." He's like, "I wasn't. I wasn't doing it." So in the "I'm gonna shoot Fergus in the face" scene, he then has the gun turned around on himself and he's screaming at him for then Fergus to shoot him, which does not happen. So there's that. Do I want to call bullshit on this scene? Yes. Will I call it? No, because there's a part of me that thinks this probably did happen. I agree. So do I believe that Swafford pulled a gun uh, or a rifle on his uh, one of his platoon mates? Yes, I do believe it. I think he is a... Tw- and even if he didn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Or be surprised if he's just saying this for effects I either way it's just fucked up and I believe any of it from him he he gives me that vibe so there's a part now in both the book and the movie where shit gets a little bit more real or we think it's getting more real and they're not just practicing and training in the rear per se uh, and they go out on these uh, patrols so in the movie with Fowler, it's implied that he was shooting camels. And there's a scene where Swafford and his squad come into contact with some Bedouins. And they sort of mime that their camels got shot, etc., etc. I actually like the way the scene is portrayed in the book. I think it's the only one where he... His squad mates are sort of talking shit about the Bedouins. And he's like, dude, like, they have nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. You know, they have nothing to do with this conflict, this war, whatever you want to call it. And somebody's out shooting their camels. Like, this, it's not cool. Um, Do I think he had that sentiment in reality? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him. I think, uh, yeah, I think he, he did. Um, So I'll give him that. That's his only saving grace he's getting from me. Um, But the point I'm getting to is Fowler is the one that, through his own admission, I guess, where he's talking about how what the sniper rifle does to the camel's head, they're all like, dude, you you shot these camels. Why would you do that? In the book, Swafford explains that when it's found out that he's the one that's shooting these camels, they send him back. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is not what the Marine Corps is about. This is this is crazy. In the movie, they keep him around um, to let him do crazier stuff, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, 
Yeah. It's um, kind of gross, actually. Yeah, it's really gross. And he's like a weird dude. Um, Swaffer talks about him a lot later. And here's the thing. I'm not saying this is exactly how it is. The way he describes Fowler as like that pathological liar. Mm-hmm. And that dude, we all know those people in the military that just overinflate. Oh, you and I both know the same person who was a pathological liar. We do. Yeah. And I was actually thinking about him the entire time I was reading this damn book. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, Which we won't get into that because we'll let him live his life. But there are these people that just overinflate what they do for for clout or for their own self. They just want to feel like they're more hardcore than they are or they're... They're more heroic. I don't know. I just, I look back at my military career and go like, I did what I did. Some of it was cool. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, but the way he describes him and talks about him, I got this feeling like, are you projecting? Like, is this you? Did you do this, Swafford? And you're just trying to project this on this other guy who probably did the same thing but he just spent so much time bitching about it and being angry that i was like you know that'll protest too mm-hmm. much yeah <laughs> just a little um yeah so so like we have that there's also now it gets a little muddled from the book to the movie where things happen but i believe the movie tries to make a bigger deal out of it and i think the biggest one would be the fact that that mission that they get sent on to take out um, I don't know, one of the Iraqis in a tower. They're going to they're gonna finally be snipers. And then the major comes in and is like, no, we're calling in an airstrike. Like, whatever. In the book, it's really anticlimactic. They're like, okay, that sucks. You know, we didn't get our shot. But in the movie, they make this big ordeal about um, Troy kind of fucking losing it mm-hmm. over not being able to do it. And he's like assaulting an officer <laughs> at that point. I'm yeah. like, this is not accurate. Not at all. You you don't get away with that. No, MPs would be called in, charges would be pressed, automatic mm-hmm. UCMJ action, everything. No Marine Corps major would be assaulted by a, a corporal. Mm-hmm. He, and I don't mean assaulted like he's going after him, punching him. Like he's grabbing his equipment from him. He's like not really shoving him, but he's putting hands on him Mm -hmm. and he's interrupting a call that this major's trying to make for the strike. Like Mm -hmm. this might seem really minimal to civilians, but in the, like that you don't do that. You don't do that at all. And in the military, that's a big fucking deal. And you're going to get in a lot of trouble for it. And no Marine Corps major would endure that and then look and go, Oh, you fucking snipers are weird. You know, that's no, that's Mm -hmm. not the dialogue that would have happened there. And the dudes that were with the other Marines that were with this major probably would have tackled that dude to the ground if that yeah. happened. So, yeah, I I get it. It's for dramatic appeal, maybe. But again, if your audience is supposed to be military, your audience is going to know that this is bullshit. Yeah, and this happens after Sykes tells... Swafford that Troy was not allowed to re-enlist and as soon as they get home he's going to be separated because they found some like mm-hmm. drug stuff in his background that he didn't yeah, he had admit a drug to thing. so I, I guess it's trying to make Troy seem that much more sympathetic because he wanted to stay in the Marine he in the Marine Corps he loved yeah. the Marine Corps and 
they're being unfair to him. But here's the thing. You go to sign a contract and the information that you gave them is not totally true or you leave mm-hmm. shit like that out, you don't get to stay. Yeah. You're in breach I don't of contract. think he got the drug bust while he was active duty, though. No, they said that it's drug stuff that he did not disclose when he joined the Marine Oh, I thought Corps. he had, like, a drug hit during the time. In, in um, the that book. might have been another character in there. Yeah, in, in the book, somebody did piss hot during your urinalysis. But oh, yeah. in the movie, they say that he didn't disclose something in his initial paperwork. Yeah. The, so this happens in the book earlier. Like, he befriends Troy early, early on. But then this happens, and I don't even think Troy deploys with them. Because then all of a sudden he's with Johnny. I was unclear but, about that whole thing because they yeah. also do talk... He does talk about Troy's funeral in the book. But they he talks about them all going in uniform. Yeah, Where, because... Yeah. Um, they get the... He's already... he's that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I think Troy gets kicked out. He mm-hmm. doesn't get the relist before they even deploy. Mm-hmm. And then he's deployed with Johnny. Mm-hmm. And then when they come back from deployment, he's still carrying out his contract. And that's where they get the news that Troy died in the car accident. And they do drive up there to Chicago or something and they go to the funeral. And that's where mm-hmm. he's talking about like, hey, if they would have let him stay in, he probably wouldn't have been driving on that black ice. He would have been in California. We don't even have black ice down here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I... Uh... I, I like I get it and I don't get it because now you've just combined two people into one and it. I, I well obviously you know if you didn't read the book then I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're just taking the movie at face value. So we don't get the freak out from Troy in the book at all, or Johnny, the one that is actually on that mission with him. They're kind of like, well, that sucks, and they go about their business. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie though, they are harping a lot on that. Swaffer's girlfriend's probably cheating on him back home and they're making all these comments and he's in the movie they're getting upset like he's really worried about he's calling her he's upset um in the book I don't even think he gives a shit really no he He makes a comment about we're still dating because we didn't break up Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's it he does not care well that in the end of the movie well, having having a girlfriend who is cheating on you makes him one of the in crowd, I guess, because you ain't shit unless you have stories about your wife being unfaithful. Yeah, and he talks about the poll where everyone's uh, hanging pictures of their unfaithful girlfriends or wives or whatever. Which, it, it's it's not unique to that story. That's just a thing, you know, whatever, in all of the military. So, when they get back... Oh, also, when they come back from that mission, that he does say that this happens where they don't get the pickup when they're supposed to, and they're coming back, so they're walking, which is concerning. And then they hear, like, screaming, because they, they've built up these mounds, these hills around them, you know, which, I guess, you, you get mortar hits, you're not getting shrapnel, so it makes sense. Um, so they hear like screaming and some noise or not screaming, like yelling and they're unsure. So they're kind of low crawling up cause they don't know what's happening at, back at their unit or their camp. And they come over and they're having a party cause I guess it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie, this happens at night and staff sergeant Sikhs or Sykes or whatever is there and they're all shooting into the air. But in the book, this is like the morning 
and everyone's just kind of chilling. It's not like a really raucous party. And then also Staff Sergeant Sykes is not there because that's why they didn't get picked up because he had to go drive the colonel somewhere. Yeah. Which I guess it doesn't really affect the story in the movie at all, but I just thought that was funny. So they come home after spending, you know, six months in the desert without doing a goddamn thing. Uh, And they're on the bus and they're going back to, I think it's Pendleton or 29 Palms. Either way, it's in California. And they have that Vietnam vet that comes on the bus. In the movie, it makes it seem like he jumps up and he's all crazy like, You did it, boys. Yeah, Marine. Semper Fi. Where in reality, in the book, it's like somebody saw a homeless Vietnam vet and grabbed him and pulled him on the bus. (laughs) <laughs> so they're like assaulting this homeless dude <laughs> and he kind of says like you did it right boys or something like that um well one of the i'm also gonna say that it's bullshit <laughs> one of the reviews that i read actually mentioned that scene specifically in the movie and they're talking about how it was symbolic because that vietnam vet didn't get the same kind of greeting when he came home and this was his chance and to live well, that. we talked about this last week with the We Were Soldiers, where this was a big deal, where mm-hmm. our administration made a conscious effort to say that we're not going to treat our veterans this way. You know, we're not going to villainize our men and women in uniform for something that they have no decision in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the Vietnam vets, when they came back, they were treated horribly. Yeah. Really, really bad. Um, there was a lot of resources for them like there are now and the Gulf War was that transition in the administrative so um, he says it happened they I thought it was pretty cool in the movie I do think it is pretty symbolic and I because it is the first and they also talk about they make jokes about how all their equipment and their gear is from the Vietnam War because I don't think the country after the Vietnam War the United States was like we're not doing this again so there wasn't really any prep so when we did go over into the Gulf, we all, we had Vietnam era shit. So it was symbolic. I liked it. I was still going to say it's bullshit. Pulled up on my bullshit meter because I'm still <laughs> just crouched. You need to make a box. list of all the items from the book slash movie that you call bullshit on. No, I actually designated a tab because, you know, I, I'm still tabbing. My tabbing is basically perfected now. It's very pretty. Yeah. Uh, but I did, I dedicated a tab just for bullshit. When I read something go, that's bullshit, I tabbed it. That's really all I did in this book. Last thing at the end here. Again, Hollywood was obsessed with this girlfriend storyline. So where does he go in his full dressed uniform at the end? His girlfriend's house. His girlfriend's house. And who she got there? The manager of the hotel that is a good listener. Yeah, yeah. Which, okay, listen, I'm not going to lie. I was skimming towards the end because I fucking was over this book. Does that even happen? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think he goes to Caesar. He doesn't fucking care. No. So he's all upset and hurt, and then, you know, whatever. Boo-hoo. Then they have the funeral. Yeah. That's it. Like, what else is there? Nothing. Very, very anticlimactic. Bullshit. (laughs) Well, that, you know, why don't we just give our reviews then? Okay. Uh, I read, so I'll I'll go first. Uh, I'm going to not be as harsh. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5 because I think if you separate yourself from the bullshit and just read it like a, as if it were fiction or historical fiction, I think it's fine. 2 out of 5. I wasn't like clawing at my eyes to stop reading it. And it is a quick read. I think it's only like 200 and something pages. It's, it's not bad. Yeah, 240. Um, 2 out of 5. 2 out of 5. The movie... 
I'm going to give a 5 out of 10, and that's only because of all the shirtless men. That's it. Done. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Movie, I'm also going to give it a 5 out of 10, uh, and that's just because when it's taken just for pure entertainment value, the six-packs and Jamie Foxx just cussing and screaming at people a lot. That's That makes it all worth it. I will say his casting was perfection. Yeah. Him as a drill instructor... Well, not drill instructor, uh, as like a uh, platoon sergeant, I think he was. Mm-hmm. So, so good. Yeah. Loved him. Um, I'm going to go straight for the jugular with the book review, and I'm going to say one out of five. Get it. And Get it. the main reason, and Melanie, Mel and I even talked about this uh, earlier before recording, it is so incredibly difficult to take what is supposed to be a memoir seriously when... 50 pages before the end of the book, the author tells you that around the age of 11 or 12, he just started lying all the time. At that point, I was just like, nothing he said up to this point is actually based in fact. And that's when it really hit home that, you know, this is like so-and-so, that soldier that we both know. So I never, ever, ever believed a single fucking word he said. And the same goes for this book. Yeah, we do have experience with people like that, just pathological liars. So when you come out in a book and say, I'm a liar, that's where I definitely at, at the end of this, I was like, everything you say, I was like, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. Where mm-hmm. up to that point, I was still calling bullshit, but I was like, uh, sure, whatever. <laughs> but after that, I was like, nope, don't care. It really set those bullshit tabs in stone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, one out of five. Don't even bother. Yeah. Fuck it. So we read, we watch, so you don't have to DNF. So we're going to help you on this one. Um, just don't start it. Period. At all. Just do neither. It, you're stop. not missing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we're going to re- close out Military Month next week with Lone Survivor. We're, it's probably going to bring the mood way, way, way down. We're going to close out on a low, but it's a powerful story. It's a true story. It's one that Jackie's very closely tied to. Um, this is a time frame where we both served in the military, so it, it hits close to home for both of us. Um, yeah, so that's what we're doing next week. I think there's going to be a lot of content warnings for that, and if you're kind of squeamish and don't really do all that stuff, maybe that's not the episode for you. And just wait until we get into August because we'll be doing some fun stuff again. Because it's Mel's birthday month. Mel's birthday month. We're going to do my favorites. (laughs) So until then, bye. Bye.